This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, August 25th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include, Apple has announced the date for its iPhone event, and we have some not-so-far-out ideas about what to expect. It's come to light that several more mobile apps are injecting JavaScript code into the app browser feature many of them offer. What's going on? And what's more secure, Face ID, Touch ID, or using a passcode? Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern, and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing well. Hold on. I've got some breaking news. Apple is holding an iPhone event on September 7th. So in two weeks, we'll know about the iPhone 14, Apple Watch 8, maybe new AirPods. Apple has also announced that iPadOS 16 is going to be delayed probably until October. And in fact, you won't get an iPadOS 16.0. You'll get a 16.1. So they've just released the first beta of 16.1 ahead of the release that's going to be delayed. We don't know when Mac OS is going to be released, but we were speculating before the recording that it kind of makes sense for the iPhone, the watch, and maybe AirPods, because these are all mobile things. Then a month later, the iPad, the Mac, maybe the new Mac Pro. So it kind of makes sense to separate the two. It's not a delay if iPadOS comes out later, because it's exactly when Apple intended it to come out. <laughs> I like how Apple says that it will be a free update, as if iPadOS and iOS and macOS are not free anyway. Way back in the iPod Touch era, uh, the early iPod Touch era, you actually had to pay for OS updates on those devices. There was one update that cost $20, and I don't remember. They made some excuse like... What is it? Sawbones Oxley, whatever the accounting thing that they had to count it like that. And it was the only time it was a paid update. And it was only for the iPod Touch. I'm not counting when macOS was paid. That's different. But I, iOS has never been paid. If macOS does get delayed at all, I'm, I'm hoping that that gives a little bit of extra time to the, the patching community that makes macOS work on older versions of Apple hardware, you know, so they can hopefully get some more models supported. Right now, the they're in some really early internal-only testing of the OpenCore Legacy Patcher that allows you to run the current macOS on older devices. They're working on this for macOS Ventura, but it's not quite publicly released yet. Okay, I'll link in the show notes to an article on the Intego Mac security blog where you talk about running macOS Monterey on a computer from 1937. <laughs> or maybe 2007. Okay, it's close. One more thing about iOS 16.1, it's going to allow users to delete the wallet app. I, now, I've been hearing noise over here in Europe about antitrust issues, the fact that other companies can't access the NFC feature on an iPhone or an Apple Watch for that matter. So you can only have one payment processor to pay with an iPhone, which is Apple Pay. And I think Apple is sort of taking this step to prevent any sort of antitrust because there's a lot of money in Apple Pay. There, it's no surprise that Apple wants to become a bank in the long term. And in order for them to do so, they have to make sure that they're not hindered by regulators. So the fact that you can delete the wallet app makes me think of Internet Explorer back in the day. The fact that it was bundled and you didn't have a choice to delete it, it's probably the same thing. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to have another payment processing app 
right away, but it's very likely that Apple's going to have to open that API and we'll be hearing about that in coming months. It could be. I, I'm not exactly sure if that's the real reason why they're allowing the wallet app to be deleted. It, the funny thing is, so the, when this came to light, right, it's because iPadOS 16.1 is going to allow you to remove the wallet app. And so then therefore people are going, oh, okay, well, so iOS 16.1 is going to start allowing people to remove the wallet app. In other words, the iPhone version of the operating system is going to start allowing this. So yeah, maybe it's an antitrust thing, but unless Apple does open this up, this application programming interface to allow third-party developers to use it, I don't really see how this really helps much with the whole antitrust thing. So we'll see. Well, I think it's a good sign that they will have to open it up because there is a European Commission thing that's a little bit annoyed. We wanted to talk about TikTok. Actually, I don't want to talk about TikTok, but there's an interesting thing where TikTok is also injecting code into websites to track its users. Also, because we talked about this recently about this sort of in-app browser and the way it can track what you're doing. And a number of apps do this. It's funny, there are all these apps by companies like Facebook and Instagram and and Facebook and Instagram, right? And the the funny thing about this is all the companies that are doing this are the sort of social media companies that make their money from tracking people. Exactly, right. Last week, we talked about how Facebook and Instagram, when you tap on a link in the app, it actually loads an in-app browser and those apps are actually injecting JavaScript that can potentially do some kind of nefarious things. And we were talking last week about uh, they probably aren't really doing anything super nefarious, but, you know, they're, the, the code is there, which is a little bit concerning. So let's just clarify what the in-app browser is. There's something called Safari View Controller, which certain apps can open instead of sending a link tap to Safari itself. And it's the entire Safari is there, except your bookmarks aren't there and your history. But everything else from Safari is there. Now, the other apps that are messing around are things like Instagram, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, Amazon, etc. But all of those give you an option to open pages in the default browser. And this could be in the settings or they might automatically open in your default browser. TikTok does not give you this option. And we opened up TikTok and we checked that when you open a link, you don't see that little bar at the bottom with a Safari icon button and a share button. The Safari icon button lets you open the page in Safari. So if you want to stay in the in-app browser, you can, but you can go to Safari. Whereas in TikTok, you can only stay in the in-app browser. It's almost as if the TikTok developers are doing this on purpose because they want to be able to inject that JavaScript and not allow you to jump to the real Safari. Exactly. So what could they be injecting and how and why and how come apparently this has been possible for years and no one's talked about this before? Well, that's what's so surprising to me about this. If it's possible to inject JavaScript into any link that someone taps on inside your app, it seems like Apple should have realized um, this is a really serious security and privacy concern. Felix Krauss, the guy who has been writing about this and discovering more and more apps that are doing this kind of thing, wrote about how TikTok essentially is like installing a keylogger on third-party websites. Now, of course, TikTok's statement is that, you know, of course they don't do that. They're not actually logging anything, but that's very concerning. That's really a serious problem that Apple needs to address in a future update. Okay, we'll keep our eyes on that. This week in data breaches, do you use Plex, Josh? I don't, but I know a lot of people who do. Like me, for example. 
Our producer, Doug, he uses Plex as well. Plex is a great way to organize videos, to stream them to different devices in your home. I have Plex running on my NAS, which is a Synology NAS, and it streams to my Apple TV, and it provides plenty of storage for all my movies that I've ripped from DVDs and Blu-rays. I, I think you mean that you obtained legally without DRM somehow. Well, that I that I converted to a machine readable thing that isn't required to go into like a specific machine. You know, it's still not legal to rip a CD in the UK for some odd reason. And it's even more illegal to rip a DVD or a Blu-ray. If you want to come after me, come after me. I mean, seriously, I don't think anyone's been taken to court for this ever. Anyway, Plex is a great system for videos, for music, for photos. And they've started adding movies that you can watch for free ad with ads in them. And that's not great. But they had a data breach. Now, I got an email first thing this morning. They haven't announced this on their website or on their Twitter account at all. They've just sent emails to Plex users. I'll link in the show notes to a reset password page. You really need to reset your password because they're saying that a third party was able to access a limited subset of data that includes emails, usernames, and encrypted passwords. They say no payment data was stored on their servers, so you don't have to worry about that. But you don't want someone getting into your Plex account and looking at your videos because Plex has a system where you can share to people outside your home. And if someone knows your account, then they might be able to access your stuff. Okay, we have a surprise update this week, don't we? Yeah, I was actually really surprised about this. Apple released an update for Bootcamp for Intel Macs to give Windows on your Intel Mac WPA3 Wi-Fi support. So WPA3 is, is a newer protocol. It offers enhanced security and some other things like that. Now Apple is allowing the Windows drivers on your Intel Mac to be able to have access to WPA3 support. And they also made some Bluetooth updates as well. It's it's interesting to see Apple still releasing updates for Boot Camp. I guess there must be enough people who are still using Windows on Intel Macs, you know, using Boot Camp, uh, that Apple feels like they need to keep updating it. As far as I can tell, WPA3 was released in January 2018. So they're right on a bowl there, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> Might have taken them a little while to get those patches released. Okay, quickly, Apple brings self-service repair to the Mac. A couple months ago, we talked about how Apple can ship you these really heavy tools to open your iPhone and to replace things like the screen and the battery. You'll be able to make some repairs to certain laptops. It's another step toward Apple allowing people to repair their computers. You know, there's this big movement in the U.S. and a lot of countries, the right to repair movement. They're taking baby steps. It's slow, but... Okay, some time ago, we talked about Apple's plan in... It was planned originally for iOS 15, wasn't it? To detect uh, child sexual abuse material. Uh, basically, they'd be scanning photos in your iCloud library, and if they found anything, they would alert you or the authorities, etc. Well, there's a story here, and this is in the New York Times. A dad took photos of his naked toddler for the doctor. Google flagged him as a criminal. And this is actually disturbing because how could this have actually happened that a human moderator looked at this and they couldn't realize that this was photos for a doctor? So obviously what's going on here is that Google is using a different process from the one that Apple announced that it was going to be using, right? Apple's process, they said, was going to be that they would have a database of known child sexual abuse material, right? So they were going to essentially hash those images 
And they were going to use, I don't know, some sort of technology to detect like variations of those images somehow. And then they were going to use that to determine whether a specific image on your, for example, iPhone was one of those prohibited photos, right? And so they were looking for very specific images, not whether they were not trying to algorithmically detect whether something in your photo might be illegal, right? Which is apparently what Google is doing. So what happened in Google's case was uh, the algorithm said, hey, this looks like it might be child sexual abuse material. And so it sent it to a Google moderator. A Google moderator evidently reviewed this and said, "Mm, yep, that seems legit. So Google actually removed his account. They prevented him from being able to access his account. And he still hasn't evidently gotten access to it again as of when this article was published a few days ago. One of the reasons we we wanted to bring this up is because this, uh, just to point out the, the very different approaches that Google and Apple are taking on this. In the same scenario where a parent takes a a, a photo for a doctor of their child, this would not or should not get flagged by Apple's approach of doing this because they're only looking for known sexual abuse material. Now, remember, there were two features that Apple announced that they were going to come out with. The second one was one that would allow a parent to protect a managed child account to not see potentially sexual material that got for example, sent to them over uh, iMessage, right? So if somebody sends you a text message and it has some sexual photo attached, then it should be blurred and it should warn the recipient, that child, that they probably don't want to view this because it may contain explicit material. So that was the second feature. And that one would use algorithms, but it wouldn't report somebody or, or cause Apple to have to manually review this and decide what to do about it. So in last week's episode, while we were recording, Apple released a bunch of updates for all the operating systems, well, almost all the operating systems. And these updates patch two actively exploited vulnerabilities. And all of a sudden, everyone's been talking about this on the news. Now, we have an article on the Intego Mac security blog, but Josh, can you give us a quick overview of, are these serious enough to make the evening news? I was really surprised to see that all of these major media companies were covering this because this happens, I don't know, what, half a dozen times a year where we have actively exploited vulnerabilities that Apple patches in all of its operating systems. And we don't know who was being targeted this time. We just know that there were two vulnerabilities that were patched. One was a kernel vulnerability, which was only patched in macOS Monterey and in iOS and iPadOS. If it did affect the two previous macOS versions, they did not get a patch for this. Also, there was a WebKit vulnerability, and again, that was patched for Monterey as well as iOS and iPadOS. And a day later, Apple released a Safari update for the two previous macOS versions, so they at least got the Safari vulnerability patched, but not the but not the kernel vulnerability, if it does apply to those operating systems. We asked Apple that question, does it apply to those operating systems? They never replied. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about which is more secure, Face ID, Touch ID, or a passcode. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, 
the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. NetBarrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, when I saw this story, I thought, wait, is it April 1st? Maybe it's April 1st in Australia down there. But this is actually a true problem, as someone from Microsoft has written a blog post explaining, and are you ready for this? Old laptop hard drives will allegedly crash when exposed to Janet Jackson music. Now, you have to wonder, what's special about Janet Jackson's music? Well, it turns out that some Windows laptops with 5,400 RPM hard drives will crash because of specific frequencies of a specific Janet Jackson song. Now, there's got to be other songs that will do this. But it turns out when we look into this in a little more detail, if the speaker's really close to the hard drive and if the frequency is a sort of fundamental frequency, it can affect the hard drive. This is just really weird. But this, actually, this has a CVE number, which is what's given for a serious vulnerability. Because hard drives are, are known to have problems, right, if you get right up next to them and even just shouting at them, right, can cause data loss in some cases, especially for older hard drives with big platters or whatever. In the case of spinning drives, they've got to cram a lot of platters into a very small space in order to give you a lot of storage. And so any vibrations can potentially cause problems for those platters, right? It can cause data loss and other things. And so that part of it, is not entirely surprising to me. Now, also, there's probably not too many people who are using a hard drive from 2005 in their main computer these days, so it's probably not terribly likely that somebody is going to send you a YouTube link to Janet Jackson's hit song, Rhythm Nation, <laughs> and cause your device that you're listening this song on to immediately just be destroyed. Okay, let's talk about security on iPhones and iPads. There are three methods of authentication. The first was the passcode, the second was Touch ID, and the third is now Face ID. And what prompted us to prepare this article is Apple is aware that Face ID can be defeated by twins or even siblings who look alike. Josh mentioned this to me last week because when you send an email to Apple's security team, you get an auto reply with three specific issues they're aware of. This is one of them. The other two were Siri related. And it made us wonder which is more secure. Is Face ID more secure than Touch ID? Is the passcode more secure than both of them? So in order to look at this, we need to discuss a number of things. So we'll start with Face ID. Apple says that the probability that a random person could look at your phone and unlock it is less than one in a million. That seems pretty good to me. Do you feel secure with that, Josh? One in a million? I mean, it's it's not 
the worst ever, <laughs> but I mean, there are, there are some problems though. I, I remember seeing stories about, for example, a child being able to unlock their mother's iPhone and they demonstrated it multiple times on video. You can, you know, they had news reporters come out and verify this at their home. So this is a, a real thing that actually happens. It's not just twins even. It could be just a, a close relation. So Apple goes on and they say the statistical probability is higher for twins and siblings that look like you and among children under the age of 13 because their distinct facial features may not have fully developed. Right. Yeah. So, okay, that's fine. But still one in a million random people. The problem is that if you have a twin or a sibling and you're not really friends with them and they come to your house and they try to open your phone, then they might be able to get in. And I think that's a little bit worrisome. The takeaway here is Face ID is perfectly fine to secure your devices in most cases. And it's going to be very difficult for somebody to get into your phone unless they happen to look a lot like you, or in the case of like law enforcement, they'd have to find somebody who's like a near identical match to your face. So a good point about law enforcement, because police, FBI, customs officials could force you to unlock your device with either face ID or touch ID just by holding up the phone or putting your finger on the Touch ID sensor. So if you're in a situation where you're actually worried about security services getting access to your phone, you might not want to use either Face ID or Touch ID. Another thing that you can do, there are actually emergency button presses that you can do, and they vary depending on the iPhone model. But there are sequences that, that you can press to prevent that device from being able to use Face ID or Touch ID until the next time that you've put in your passcode. So if you press the power button and one of the volume buttons, you hold it for a couple of seconds, the device will go to the power off emergency screen. This is where you slide to power it off or you can display your medical ID emergency SOS. Tap cancel and you go back to the main screen and you can't unlock the phone without the passcode. So let's talk about Touch ID. Now, when Touch ID was introduced, Apple said that there was a 1 in 50,000 chance of a random person unlocking your device. Now, Touch ID is interesting because if someone touches the Touch ID sensor and it fails, and then touches it again and it fails again, after a few times, it's going to start slowing down before it allows another attempt until it eventually locks the device. So if some random person tries Touch ID on your device and it fails, and then again and again, maybe after five times, you'll have to put a passcode in to unlock the device. So you can't try... 50,000 people can't line up to try the Touch ID sensor on your phone. Exactly, right. So I, I think that one in 50,000 is pretty reasonable because it's, while you may be able to find a twin, a, a close match, face match to somebody, it's going to be really hard to find somebody who's got the same fingerprint patterns as you, right? Well, twins don't have matching fingerprints. One thing that Apple points out, both with Face ID and Touch ID, is that the device improves the Touch ID model each time you use it. So it's refining it over time. Every time it recognizes your face, it's creating a new model. It's comparing that to the original and it's making it more precise. It's the same with Touch ID. And of course, over the years, Apple has improved the quality of the Touch ID sensor, which it's starting to get away from, right? There are more and more Face ID for mobile devices, but we're starting to use it on Macs now. So my M1 iMac from last year has a keyboard with Touch ID, my new M2 MacBook Air, my previous M1 MacBook Air. So we have Touch ID on Macs for a while. So Touch ID, I think, is a technology that they're improving an awful lot, but you have the same risk of police 
arresting you and putting your finger on the touch ID sensor or a thief forcing you to unlock your device. Right. There are some things that you can try to do again, in addition to pressing that button sequence, right. uh, For your device to lock it. Face ID also does require attention. Generally Uh, possible to turn that attention requirement off, but generally you do have to be looking at your phone in order for face ID to work. So if you keep your eyes closed, then Theoretically, it should not unlock if somebody holds it up to your face. Now, if somebody's several people are holding you down, they can probably grab your thumb and stick it on the Touch ID sensor. <laughs> so, uh, well, I've seen Clockwork Orange, and they managed to keep the guy's eyes open pretty easily. <laughs> okay, so that brings us to the passcode. In the early days, iPhones did not require a passcode. You could set up an iPhone without a passcode. It was an option. I remember setting up my first iPod Touch like that because what was I doing? I was playing music. I don't think I was even using it for email back then. The early iPhone suggested that you use a four-digit passcode. And when iOS 9 came out in 2015, the suggested passcode increased to six digits. Interestingly, if you'd been updating a device since then and going from one device to another, it could still use the four-digit passcode. So if you've been migrating your device since forever, you might have a four-digit passcode. Please change it to at least six digits. Please change it to more than six digits. We'll explain why in a minute. The odds of someone guessing a four-digit passcode is one in 10,000. For a six-digit passcode, it's one in a million. But people tend to use numbers they can remember, and six digits is ideal for a date. Your children's birthday, your wedding date, the day that the Boston Red Sox won the World Series, any kind of date that you'll remember. So you still can't guess 100 times because the phone will lock after a certain point. But the the kind of dates, if you do a bunch of research on someone, thinking Tom Cruise here, right? He's doing the research on a guy. He's finding when his kids were born and when he was married, when he graduated college. You try those dates, you got a good chance of succeeding. Right. Well, and it's also possible too. again, in, in, in the scenario of, say, law enforcement getting a hold of your device, if there are any guesses remaining, if there's even one guess remaining on that passcode, then what they can actually do is image your device so they can make like a, a full backup of everything on your device and then try that one attempt at a time. And they can do this over and over and over and over again until they eventually get your passcode. And so with a six digit passcode, even though that's a lot better than four digits, it's still not great. And it certainly makes it possible to brute force attack that password and get into your device if somebody's got the right resources. So if you were to make a 10 digit passcode, that would be 10 billion possibilities. And brute forcing is going to have a lot of trouble doing that before the universe collapses. A 10 digit passcode isn't that hard to create. You could use the six digits of a date with four other digits, maybe two before or two after, or four before the date or four after. It's not that hard to come up with something that's memorable. Does Apple actually let you see digits like that? Or was I thought that once you got beyond six, it just went to like a regular password field. Right. And that's the advantage of using more than six digits in your passcode is that no one knows how many there are. So they don't have that clue of saying, yes, it's six digits. You can go even further and use an alphanumeric password. And what that does is it lets you use letters and numbers and some special characters. And in that case, you just see enter your passcode and a normal keyboard, a QWERTY UEOP keyboard. And someone looking at that, how are they going to figure it out? Even if you wanted to use a six-digit alphanumeric passcode with a date, no one would know that you're using six digits. 
because they see the keyboard. You just tap the little number button to get to your digits and you tap your numbers in. Right. I, of course, would recommend that you should probably actually use a better, stronger, longer alphanumeric password. You have 14 character random passcodes. I don't know how you remember them. I can neither confirm nor deny the exact length of my <laughs> passcodes, but they are very long and they are uh, somewhat random. Yeah. So, so there's no way that you could guess them. Again, I, brute forcing is possible. Like, you know, again, if you have the right tools, right, like law enforcement has, they could theoretically eventually brute force guess my password. But it's chances are it's going to take many, many years before they'll get to the right guess. And the cops or the FBI agents, they'll have retired by then. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> All right, that's enough for this week. Link in the show notes to this article on the Intego Max Security blog. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>